So I'd like to start things a little bit differently today by starting with prayer. Usually I intro, read the scripture, and then we pray together, but I want to do things a little bit differently today. Let's go ahead and start with prayer today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we get to come together, to gather together, to listen however we're listening, online, later, live, on site, just to be able to study your word, to have access to your word, to know that you want to speak to us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears. Often when you were preaching, you would say, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. And just like Elizabeth prayed earlier, in the idea of listening is also obedience, that we will respond to what you are saying. So Lord, speak to us. Only you know exactly what we need to hear, and we believe that you are present, active, living, involved, wanting to speak to us. So we pray, Lord, that you would do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I mentioned last week that I had gone away unexpectedly for a pastor's conference and uh, that my car broke down and I was stranded overnight. Uh, I mean, that sounds worse than it actually was. I got to spend the night in a hotel, but it was an unplanned uh, vacation extension. And that night when I was, uh, I believe it was that night, when I was sitting in the hotel, I had uh, three thoughts that that came to me as I was thinking about this series. We're in this series called Reboot where between now and Easter, we are looking at fresh perspectives and clean slates. The whole idea is that there are certain truths that we find in scripture that are transformational. So I was, uh, I was thinking about it, and there were just these three phrases that came to mind, and I thought they were my message for last Sunday. Turns out, as I started studying, there are actually at least three messages. So, <laughs> so the first one that I wrote down, this is the actual page. This is right here, uh, 10th of February, in at Long Trail, Killington, Vermont. And uh, you saw the one phrase that I wrote last week because it was this one, how I introduced last week. Different roles, same call. Different roles, same call. That is that even though I'm a pastor, most of you are not, you we all have different roles. My role is pastor, teacher, shepherd. You, may, you might have a different role, but it's the same calling. And we looked at Luke chapter 14 that says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. The idea that we are all in and what it means to follow Jesus, no matter what your role, is that you are all in. Now, the second phrase, the one that we're gonna be talking about today that I wrote there, it says, by this time, you should be teachers. By this time, you should be teachers. And then I wrote Hebrews because I knew that that verse was, that it's quoting a verse from Hebrews. And then I wrote, is the Lord saying? And the idea here was that, um, you know, some of us have been around church and doing this for a while. And the whole idea is that we will mature, that we will make progress, that we will become more and more competent in our contribution to what's going on. So my question is, is the Lord saying something like this to you? The verse that I was thinking of was Hebrews chapter 12, 5, verse 12, first part, says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. 
You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. And we'll look at this more in depth, but the whole idea is that um, as you progress, you're not supposed to just keep showing up and keep staying stagnant, keep doing the same thing, that over time, you're supposed to grow and that the real mark of maturity is the ability to reproduce, that you're able to lead others along in this journey as well. And so we'll see that the writer of Hebrews is saying to his audience, to the people that he's writing to, look, I want to, I want to go farther with you, but, and you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others, but as we'll see, that's not the case. So what we're going to be dealing with today is that sense of stagnation, of feeling like you are stuck, that you should be farther along perhaps than you are or you would like to be, but you're not. So how do we get unstuck? And it's key for us as a church as well, because if we are going to continue to be effective and become more effective as a church, then we need to be a bunch of people who are not just bring not just receiving, but also giving, also bringing others along, not just making progress ourselves, but bringing others along as well. So for those of you who will be watching or listening online later, so you didn't see the rest of this, uh, if you're just listening to the message, welcome to Cornerstone. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and I would love to be able to uh, connect with you if you will check in using the app or our website, you can let us know that you are here and we'll be able to stay in touch with you and encourage you and be praying for you. There's an opportunity for you to submit a prayer request on there as well. So we're in the series called Reboot. Today's message is called It's Time. And the question is, how do I get unstuck? So what we're talking about today is actually maturity. And I'm going to borrow my bottom line from the scripture, which is always a really good idea. Uh, and the bottom line for today is, by this time, I ought to be teaching others. Now, as an introvert, I hate it when speakers do this, but I, it's good for you. So just kind of play along. You don't have to say it real loud, but I want everybody to say this all together right now. It, it'll help you to remember it and it'll help you to internalize it. I'm not saying by this time you ought to be teaching others. We're gonna personalize it. We're gonna put the I in there. So all together, one, two, three. By this time, I ought to be teaching others. That was awesome, because most of you, like me, are introverts. That was really good. I'm impressed. I'm not even gonna make you do that again. It was so good. Uh, so here is uh, the main points. Don't bother writing them down. We'll come back to them. If we're going to make progress, we need to consume God's word. We need to embrace repentance, and we need to take ownership, take ownership. And the, the next step, the way that we will practically apply this is to put yourself, I'm going to put myself, you're going to say, in a place where you're responsible to and for others, because by this time, we ought to be teaching others. Let's look at the passage. It's Hebrews chapter five, verses 11, all the way to the end of that chapter, and then the first couple of verses of chapter six. I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation, and this is what it says. 
There is so much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Chapter 6. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. So, uh, you might have noticed that the tone of that is a little, little jarring, a little bit harsh. He's is very corrective, uh, and the this whole passage is actually parenthetical. It's in the midst of a teaching, and he wants to tell the the author wants to tell more about this and keep going, but he feels like he uh, has to kind of pull back for a second. And there's this, this passage that we're going to be looking at. But the key phrase, again, in the midst of this, by this time, I ought to be teaching others. In order to be making progress, in order to put yourself in a place where you can lead others, you have to be consuming God's word. So let's look at it together. Again, verse 12, first half, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, he says, you need to, someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. These, uh, these are the ABCs. These are the foundational elements. These are the first steps, the basics of our faith. He says, uh, the, the author goes on to say, you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Solid food is for the mature who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, uh, he's using the analogy, of course, of a baby. A baby, newborn baby, cannot eat regular food. It's not ready for solid food because there's a maturity issue. You have to feed babies food that is appropriate for the baby. What he's saying, though, is you're not babies anymore. At least you're not, you shouldn't be. You should be able to eat solid food, spiritually speaking, by now, but you're not ready for it. You haven't made the kind of progress that would be expected for as long as you have been around the faith. And the interesting thing here that I wanted to especially highlight is look at how he, uh, the, the author defines mature who through training have the skill, maybe underline that word skill, to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So often we are tempted to equate knowledge, information with maturity. 
but over and over again in the scriptures, that whole idea is totally wiped out. Yes, you do have to have some knowledge, but it's the skill that allows you to actually, that actually measures your maturity. Uh, so when they talk about knowing something, it's the, it's the idea of knowing a skill. Uh, you know, you could say, I know how to cook. All right, that doesn't mean I've just read a recipe book. It means that I have the skills. I know how to ride a bike. A person who has never been on a bike could probably explain how you're supposed to ride a bike, but it's not something that you just learn that way. It's something that you have to have the skill to do it. I know how to drive a manual transmission. I know how to drive a stick. Now, unfortunately, my daughter is home sick today, but Livy, I'm going to tell a story about you. Don't worry, it's not a bad one. I, if you had been awake, I would have checked it out with you before uh, I left today, but she is learning how to drive, and she is in driver's ed, and she, and she wants to learn how to drive stick, but we haven't started yet. She was in a class where the assignment was to give speeches, and one of her classmates gave a speech on how to drive a stick. So she told me about that, and I said, well, that's great. Now I don't have to teach you. You know how now. Now, the reason that that's funny is, of course, that it's a skill. It's not just knowledge. And maturity, walking with Jesus, is the same way. It's a skill that you develop over time. Uh, and it has, we've all met people who know a lot about the Bible, but their lives don't necessarily recommend faith to others. So that's what they're talking about. Now, let me, let me put in a good word for babies, because here the idea is that, oh, you're like a baby, you're not mature. But there's also the idea in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are supposed to have a spiritual hunger that matches a babies. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Another uh, of all of our five kids, our oldest, Brian, was the most energetic and excited about eating especially as a baby. You know, you get, you, you know how it is. If you've ever seen a baby that's hungry, you know, they're, they're just searching for the food. They're searching for the food. And as soon as they see that bottle and are able to clasp on, it's like, you know, they're, they're hungry. They've got it. That's the idea there that they're craving that, that they're hungry for it. And here the apostle Peter is using that as an illustration of what we should be like. That through mature, through taking in spiritual nutrition, we can, uh, we can grow in our faith. Let me give you a practical step that you can do. We've talked about this before. If you go to cornerstonenh.org slash read scripture, you will find a PDF that has a reading plan and also connects with different Bible project videos and blog posts and such that will help you to familiarize yourself so that you can read and understand scripture. If you are going to make spiritual progress, yes, we want you to grow beyond the basics, but you have to start somewhere. And follow, And being, having a hunger for God's word is a great step. Now, second, by this time, I ought to be a teacher. I ought to be teaching others. In order for that to happen, you have to embrace repentance. 
Um, very often, I've talked before about how I hate it when God convicts me of something because that means I usually have to say sorry to somebody or go back and make things right, humble myself, all of which I don't really particularly enjoy. But I've decided that I'm going to embrace repentance. I'm going to be thankful for conviction because there are some people that can sin without conviction. There are some people that, do, that, that can go their whole lives and, and you suffer for that. Um, there is, some of you may be familiar with the uh, ongoing revival that seems to have started at Asbury. For 10 days after a chapel service, beginning and including today, they have been meeting, and what began as just a regular chapel service has turned into this extended, long meeting where God's Spirit seems to be especially moving. There's a history of that in this place and at that chapel, but the number one characteristic, now I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, an expert on revivals, but I've seen this and heard this over and over again. When we pray for a revival, we think, oh, you know, it's going to be all these people out there are going to come into the church. All those people out there are going to get saved and come into the church. Do you know how revivals usually start? It's by the people of God repenting taking sin seriously, confessing their sins, and that's what's happening at Asbury. It started with the people of God being broken over their sin and embracing the idea of repentance. So in Hebrews, the author is going to say, well, let's, you know, I, I need you to move past these basic teachings about Christ. We keep going around the same mountain over and over again, and you're not making any progress. So instead, let us go on and become mature in our understanding. And then the author is going to actually list, here are some of the basics. These are the basics that you should have down pat, that we shouldn't have to deal with again. It says, surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting. Everybody say repenting. Okay, good. From evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Now, what we'll see here is several, um, several combined thoughts there in two, uh, three sets of two, if I remember correctly. And this is the first one, that you're repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Um, some translations will say uh, dead works. That's a more literal translation. So you're turning from dead works and you're turning to God. Dead works can have two separate ideas. Maybe one is more correct than the other. Maybe both of them are included. But the first, uh, the first idea is that you can earn your place in God's family by doing good things. Because we all fall short, that is a hopeless, dead-end path. And so that could be the idea of repenting from dead works, that you're not going to try to earn your salvation anymore. Instead, the way the gospel works is you receive God's favor through what Jesus did on the cross. The other way that this could be understood is the idea of, as this translation puts it, evil deeds, that just the basics of faith, the basics of following Jesus is that you are turning away from evil and putting your faith in, your trust in, you are following after God. That's 
the basics. The same idea is repeated in Romans chapter six. I gave you a little bit more extended version of this in your growth guide, but the end of it says, what did you get out of it? What did you get out of this life of pursuing just your own desires, running away from God? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? The outcome of those things is death. Dead works, evil deeds lead to death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, a separation, a unbreachable, unbridgeable chasm between us and God. And that's only overcome through what Jesus did on the cross. So it's that the basics is you got to turn your back on evil. And this idea is picked up again in Hebrews chapter 12 when it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The picture there is running a race. And if you're going to run a race, you don't want to be carrying unnecessary baggage. And so there are some things that maybe are good, but they're not necessary. You cast them off. There are some things that are evil, that are sin that's tripping us up and entangling us. It's time to get untangled. Let me give you a practical step that you, can, that you can use when it comes to this. Obviously, of course, and you'll see a couple extra scriptures in your growth guide as well, you need to confess to the Lord. Yes, that's important. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's also one thing that can help with this is being in relationship with others. In James chapter 5, it talks about confessing our sins to one another. Is there some trusted friend that you have that you can be honest with what you're struggling with as you pray for one another, as you confess that sin? It says in Hebrew, in James chapter 5, that that begins the process of healing. That's part of how God arranged it so that you can overcome it. So we need those kind of relationships. And if you go to cornerstonenh.org slash know, you will see some of those groups, those building blocks of our church, cornerstone communities, where you can make friends and apply the Bible to life. If we're going to make progress, if we're going to be the people and the church that God has in mind for us, we need to be making progress. We need to embrace repentance. Because by this time, you ought to, I ought to be teaching others. I ought to be making disciples. And now I come to the third point, which was really the main idea that I was thinking of when I wrote that in that little journal book. And that is the idea of taking ownership, of taking ownership. What do I mean by that? Um, In order... Uh, there, there's kind of a pro- progress, a process that people go through as they become involved in church, as they mature in their faith. You start out as a consumer, and that's the, the kind of the baby phase, the infant phase, the newborn phase. And there's nothing wrong with that. You should feed your babies, right? Uh, you should make sure that they are well-fed and well-taken care of. And, so, uh, and, and that doesn't really stop. I mean, the, the food changes and over time, but, and you grow and your diet changes, but you're still taking in nourishment. You're a consumer. But eventually, you become a contributor as well. 
you are participating in. As children are growing up, you begin to give them responsibilities around the house. Why? Because you want them to mature. You want them to be self-sufficient. You want them to grow. I remember when I first went to college, I was so surprised that some, some kids, some, uh, some of my cohort had, had never done their own load of laundry. They had never done much in the kitchen, and I did not have that experience, and for that I am grateful. You know, I'm sure that the moms and dads thought they were loving their children by taking care of them to that extent, but you have to give them responsibilities. They make them contributing members of society, but then it goes beyond that to being commissioned, and that's what I'm talking about here and taking ownership. We see this in this passage beginning at verse 2. I've switched over to the Christian Standard Bible because it's a more literal translation, teaching about ritual washings and laying on of hands. Now, the New Living Translation that I read talked about this in form of baptisms, and that might be what it means, but it's a different word, and so the suggestion is that it's the idea of ritual washings. There were other rituals that, remember, because the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew believers, that as part of their tradition, they might have baptized new believers, but also had ritual washings, and that kind of ties into the idea of repentance. So we've already covered that. But then it says the laying on of hands, laying on of hands. What is that talking about? Then the last two elements are the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. So you have the beginning that you've got to repent from evil deeds and you've got to turn towards God. You've got the ongoing process of following Jesus, which is that you are become a believer, you're baptized, you uh, establish the habit of repentance. Maybe that's what the ritual washings is talking about. And then there's the end of the story, which is that we're all going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. We're not going to talk about that today, but I just want to cover it because it's listed there. Let's go back to the idea of laying on of hands. What does that mean? It means at its root, identifying with someone or something else. So we first see this in one of the first books of the Bible in Leviticus, where they're talking about a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice for sins. And it says, lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Now, we know, because we can look back over the whole course of history, to uh, biblical history, that the, the animal sacrifices were pointing forwards towards Jesus. But the idea that they were saying is, look, I'm, you're, this, this sacrifice that you're going to offer, you're going to identify with it. It's going to take your place. Just like in baptism, we now identify with Christ, saying that he took our place. So it's the idea of identification. Then it kind of moved beyond that to to passing on identifying with a particular role. So we see a little bit later when Moses was coming to the end of his life and passing his ministry on to Joshua, we see this in Numbers chapter 27. The Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, notice that, and lay your hands on him. (laughs) Moses laid his hands on him and commissioned. Everybody say that word, 
commissioned, commissioned him to lead his people. Moses has, has been leading the people. He's now handing off that ministry and mission and commission to Joshua. And the way that he symbolizes that identification with that role is he lays his hands on him, on them. Then we see that process. It continued all the way through into the New Testament. Again, there's an extended version of this in your growth guide, so you can see a little bit more of the context. But basically, this is when the first deacons were commissioned for their role. Then they, the people, presented the deacons, them, to the apostles, praying the apostles laid on hands and commissioned them for their task. They're saying, we are going to commission, we're going to identify these people as people who are serving in this role, and we're going to commission them, and the way that we symbolize that is by laying on of hands. The other place that you see this is when the church was first getting started, and the Holy Spirit, remember we've seen a little bit of hints of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on particular people at particular times to accomplish a particular mission. In the New Testament, every follower of Jesus, everyone who identifies with Jesus, gets God's Holy Spirit residing in them, and that empowers and propels them in ministry. We see this in Acts chapter 8. Peter and John, to the apostles, laid their hands on them. These thems here are the new believers. They're just getting started. And they received the Holy Spirit. It was a way of identifying. We are apostles. You guys are now following Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. We are one. We are a part of the body of Christ. And then this, one of my favorite verses, I've showed this to you a lot of times. This extends to all of us. As each part does its own special work, all of us, it helps the other parts, the rest of us, grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Here's what I see in this passage of Hebrews and how it applies to us. It's writing to people who know the basics and should be moving on past the basics. We have people in a variety of different stages and places in their spiritual journey, but most of us, I would say, are to the point where we've been around for a while, we know the basics, and we should be making progress. Part of the progress that we see here is the idea of commissioning, that we are not only going to be consumers and not only just contributors willing to help, but we'll be commissioned. We will take on ownership of a particular aspect or ministry within the church. It's something that when I was growing up used to be called churchmanship. It was, it was the idea that, that there's a skill and a responsibility to being a part of a fellowship and that each one of us should take on whatever responsibility, whatever giftings of ours allows so that we are all contributing and each part is doing its own special work to help others, to contribute to the whole, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So the question that I wrote down in my little book was, is the Lord saying to you, by now, 
you ought to be teachers. By now, you ought to have, be able to look behind you and see people that are following Jesus because you're following Jesus. That by now, you should have responsibility for not just being a helper, but someone who takes ownership for an aspect of ministry because others need you and someday we're gonna be accountable for the gifts that we've been given and there's nothing else that we can contribute in this life that's more important than what we do here as followers of Jesus, guarding, protecting, and communicating the treasure of the gospel. So if the Lord is speaking to you, I would encourage you to go to this page, cornerstonenh.org serve, is a listing of all of the different service-focused cornerstone communities that we go and serve others. Is the Lord saying to you, by now, you ought to be teachers. By now, you ought to be leading something. By now, you ought to be responsible for something. By now, somebody should be able to say, hey, take this and run with it, and you take it and run with it. You own it. So I'm going to ask you for your own benefit to place yourself in a place, put yourself in a place where you're responsible to and for others. Because here's what I know. When you take on responsibility, it will prompt maturity. You will grow. And that's kind of the point. So the bottom line is this. By this time, I ought to be teaching others. Let's celebrate communion with this in mind because I think that it will remind you and reinforce these ideas. Kent and Elizabeth are going to come up because they're going to lead us in a song. But just think about the points that we've talked about in light of communion, consuming God's word. What we're going to be doing is taking in, we're going to be eating and drinking these elements. They're going to be a part of us. And as we read and respond to God's word, then that truth, we take that in and it becomes a part of us and we are nourished and grow as a result. We are consumers of God's word. It also is embracing repentance. When in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when the apostle Paul is teaching the church, he says to examine yourself so that you don't take communion in an unworthy manner. To look at yourself and, and let this be a prompt for repentance. To recognize that what Jesus did on the cross, that forgave my sins in general and in whole, but there are also specific sins that I need to repent of. That maybe I've been saying, oh, it's not a big deal. I don't have to deal with that. God loves me. God forgives me. And this is a reminder for you to deal appropriately with the sins that are in your life, to embrace repentance. And then to take ownership, that he saved you for something. He saved you in order to, for you to be a contributing member of the body of Christ, to make progress and to grow. So what is he saying to you? Because for some of you, it might be, by now, you ought to be a teacher. By now, you ought to be taking responsibility. By now, you ought to be leading something. By now, you should be growing past this. So we're going to sing together, and then I'm going to come back, and I will lead you through the elements, taking the elements of communion.
As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. The opening line of Psalm 42, like the opening of, of uh, Psalm 81 and like what we were just looking at in Hebrews chapter 5, is an expression of longing, of hunger, of thirst for God in your life. If, if there's undealt with sin in your life, if you're wondering why there seems to be a callousness over your heart, that uh, there's not a longing for the Lord, it's most likely because there's a need for repentance. And this is a great opportunity to just embrace repentance. I'm sorry, Lord. I trust what you did on the cross forgave me, but I want to be cleansed as well. I want this to be in the rearview mirror of my life and only you can do that. We surrender our lives to you, Lord. And as we partake of the elements of communion, we are doing exactly that. We're repenting of evil deeds and dead works that in no way could we own or earn our own salvation. We recognize that. And we ask that your spilled blood your broken body satisfy the demands of our sins so that we might be forgiven and cleansed, included in your family, and made fit for your service. So go ahead and take the bread. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. After he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which was broken for you, do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, he took the cup, gave thanks, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul, when he was recounting that scene, sums it up like this. And as often as you drink this, you proclaim the Lord's death. The idea there, it's the same word as preaching. You are preaching the Lord's death. You are preaching the gospel every time you do that to yourself and to everyone watching. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can come to you with all of our baggage and sin and unload it at the cross, that you, through your grace and goodness, made a way for us to be restored into fellowship with you, for our sins to be forgiven and our lives to be cleansed. Lord, it is our heart's desire to know you, to love you, to follow hard after you. And Lord, we declare our willingness as a people to be used by you in whatever way you see fit. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.